You are listening to Concrete Conversations, an informative podcast brought to you by the Concrete Masonry Association of Australia. We represent the concrete masonry and segmental paving manufacturers in Australia. Our podcast will discuss technical information and case studies with some special guests from our industry. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of the Concrete Masonry Association of Australia. On today's podcast, we are excited to have Ryan Nelson here, and he's going to talk to us a lot about paver maintenance. It's a very big passion of his, and he's certainly what we would deem one of the experts in it. But before we get started, let me just introduce Ryan. He's a project engineer for civil and stormwater engineering strategy and assets at the city of Charles Sturt. He's worked in civil construction now for the last 15 years, with the last three of those being at the city of Charles Sturt. Ryan, welcome. Thank you. Ryan, just before we get started talking about paving and pavements, how did you get involved in engineering and in particular local government? I always say it was an unhealthy obsession with Lego as a kid. (laughs) There's a common theme. Common theme among engineers, but yeah, loved building stuff and I suppose didn't want to do a trade, but that's why I got into construction engineering originally and then that evolved over time and eventually construction in local government and now managing construction for local government. And when you were sort of younger, and I do feel with the generations now, they've got all these Lego kits where there's so many instructions, whereas you seem a little bit similar in generation to myself where you had no instructions. You just got all the bricks and you had to create whatever you needed to. Was engineering something that you knew exactly where that was going to happen or did it form? I had no idea. Right. If you'd asked me halfway through year 12 what I wanted to do, couldn't have told you. Really? Had a hint that I wanted to do engineering, but I wasn't 100% sure. Even putting the preferences in, it was no guarantee I was going to even start my degree, let alone finish it. So, And so then how did you get to university and tick engineering? Been doing a bit of uh, work experience and just chatting to a few people in the civil construction industry, a few family friends, and that kind of piqued my interest. And I thought, well, that seems to align the most with what I want to do. And yeah, just got into civil. And once I started learning about it more at uni, then I was, I suppose, a little bit hooked. Yes. And then with your current role and obviously having those sort of decisions around assets and what drew you to that? What do you enjoy most about it? I suppose it's good to get off the tools and out of the sun occasionally, but more just in terms of being able to, I think personally for me, have more influence rather than being at the end of the line and just building what others have already decided. It was more about being able to make those decisions and influence others to make better decisions. Can you describe, just so that we can get a little bit of an insight into some of the decisions that councils make and maybe just a little bit of the process around that? Yeah, so a lot of it's got to do with everything you see, roads, drains, footpaths. They're the main ones. There's all soft elements as well like landscaping and ovals and buildings but it's a lot about in terms of how we replace those assets a lot of them are getting old whether we replace them the same as what they were whether we change them whether we don't replace them when we remove them and it's all about you know there's a lot of strategic objectives that all the councils have politics come into it as they always do but you know i'm thankful the council i'm working for fairly progressive the councillors are very very good at relying on technical knowledge you know they leave the politicking up to them and let us do what we need to do and inform their decisions they're very very good in that way so what's one part of your job that takes up a lot of your time that we wouldn't see 
I'd like to say in local government, engineering is just in general, a lot of people don't see what's happening, particularly around stormwater. I suppose that's one area of my job, but usually that's all underground. No one sees it until it rains and mm-hmm. then everyone's got a problem with it. Okay. But you don't see it until, you know, it's not one of those sexy things like a new road. Everyone always wants a new road or a okay. new footpath, but yep. yeah, stormwater is one aspect okay. of that. So. And what do you like about working with stormwater? At the moment, it's the potential. It's the potential that we've got in terms of moving towards like a more water sensitive approach and really keeping water where it lands and being able to use that. And there's a lot of different technologies around that are really enabling that good mix between paved, you know, what was traditionally a impervious surface and mm. being able to keep that water where it is so that we can have more trees, we can have more green spaces and make a better living environment. It's such so. a, um, a waste, isn't it? stormwater you know when it goes yeah so it comes so quickly and then well we're in the driest city I think in Australia right that's right and sadly the last couple of years we've had our average rainfall so it's kind of dropped off the radar a little bit but we get to the middle of a drought and then people go oh well what are we doing well you've got to do it before when you've got the rain Mm. so and so with planning around stormwater the challenges obviously are as you mentioned to make better use of it but what does that mean on a local council level so for us, we're transitioning to a more integrated water approach. So a combination of using water passively. So if water lands on a road, trying to get into the verge to keep the trees there, but also those larger catchments, trying to capture that water, either filter it through wetlands or rain gardens and then inject it into the aquifer mm-hmm. and then draw it out through our recycled water system. So it's generally, I suppose for us, it's trying to use less mains water in terms of keeping all our ovals green and all of that. But also it's not just the big ticket items, it's more the verges. And that's where we're trying to have more of an impact at the moment mm-hmm. is those, again, those less sexy items where, okay, yeah, the street trees, they grow quicker because mm. there's more water in the verge or there's more water in the underlying soil because it's gone through a permeable pavement. All right, so now you led us there beautifully to pavers and talk to us a little bit what you like about pavers. Pavers in general, there's so many different options. You can <laughs> tailor them to whatever you want. So I think that's the thing. You've got plain concrete. Mm. You've got plain asphalt. Yeah, you can get different colour variations, different but... You change your mind later, well, you're pulling up a lot of concrete mm. or a lot of asphalt. Whereas pavers, you, know, you can have patterns. You can get 10 different colours of pavers and lay them however you want. Okay? They last so long. One somehow gets damaged, you can replace one paver and not go, oh, hang on, I'm looking at that big crack going through my concrete driveway or through my concrete footpath. They're just so flexible. I think that's probably the biggest thing with me is you can adapt them to any shape that you've got in terms of what you're trying to pave, Mm. they're so flexible and adaptable. You can change your mind in five years and you can come back and go, all right, I'm just going to lift those pavers there and I'm going to plant a tree there now. So Ryan, can you give me an example of where you've used the colours or the shapes or the patterns to achieve something else with pavers? Yeah, well, we've got a project that's just kicking off our Woodville Road streetscape project and our landscape architect there has chosen, I think there's about six different pavers and there's a nice 
it's almost like a snake tying into a lot of the local Aboriginal cultural themes that we've got there with a few of our things. And that's one of the aspects. So that'll be kind of a continuous pattern through there. So that's the quirky thing about them is you don't just have to have one block colour. No, so, I think I think it was the Wet and Wild in Sydney. They actually made it so that it had looked like it had extended waves with the pavers. That's the yeah. thing. And you can do it such that you can see things both when you're standing there, but also some that you can only see when you're up high. Whereas you can get that with, with concrete and asphalt, but it's a lot more difficult. Now, we often have a lot of misconceptions around maintenance, but can you talk me through maintaining pavers? To be honest, I've personally found they usually require less maintenance because they're more forgiving in terms of the usual regular levels of maintenance, sweeping and as you would a road and a footpath, you do that much the same. It's more your major levels of maintenance. You don't tend to have that if it's properly designed because you don't have those values that require you to do you know, if there's an issue with concrete, well, you're usually ripping up a large section of concrete. If there's an issue with asphalt, again, you're usually ripping up a large section to replace that in terms of that intervention maintenance. But mm-hmm. pavers, you can pull up four pavers, but anyone can do it. You don't necessarily need to be specialised to do it. We also get like a lot of questions around clogging and things like that, particularly in the permeable pavers. How do you approach that? I think people overestimate the effect that clogging has. And yes, when they're brand new, you've got your 100% infiltration. After 20 years, you might only be at 50%, but 50% is better than zero. And you can intervene if you want, but it depends. You might have to, depending on what you're using them for. But if you're just trying to capture some water and you're being able to redirect that water elsewhere, it's not a problem. But you are always going to get some level of clogging. You've got organic matter. But if it's properly designed, the impact of that is usually fairly minimal. It's not as significant and it's usually, again, quite easy to rectify. Lift Mm. a couple of pavers and sometimes the situation will resolve itself. Ryan, one of the things that always sends me a bit crazy is when I see a beautiful paved pathway and services have come in and then they've put asphalt instead. Do you encounter those issues? Um, Not too often, although the larger service authorities here are usually pretty good. Usually it's a temporary fix and they're usually pretty good with reinstatement. Quite often what we'll see is they'll actually just rubble all the way up. So rather than asphalt, they'll just rubble all the way up. So in some ways that's a bit better because then it's easier to just to come out and it's not putting something that then has to, it's not asphalt. You're not having to generate that asphalt, use the energy for that, lay it and then dig it back out again. But yeah, you're going to get that anywhere, unfortunately. And that's one of the things when it comes to the legislative powers, local government versus service authorities. Yes. Service authorities have got a federal act. So they pretty much can do what they want to get the job done. And some are very, very good and they're proactive and they'll engage. Some, not so much. Yeah. So that's a good point that you made there because I think everyone just wants to blame council. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't, don't get me wrong. If there's anything that's gone through a footpath, you can guarantee council will generally be the first person they call but Mm. here we're generally fairly lucky with our service authorities they're generally really good would you say though that's because there's just such a high usage of pavers as well yeah i I would say pavers make it easier right here in sa in terms of especially i'll use mbn as an example you get a lot of smaller subcontractors doing that work and everyone hates when oh they've come in they've cut where you've got concrete oh they've cut a 200 mile trench and now there's just a strip of concrete that they've put back and it doesn't match color wise but you're never going to get that but with pavers they can lift the pavers they stack them to the side they do what they need to do they put those pavers back if they do it properly 
you'll never even know they were there. Yeah. Sometimes you might get a little bit of settlement, but again, that's a lot easier to fix than when they don't compact their trench and they put concrete on top of it and then that settles. Mm. So pavers are more forgiving. Yes. You've spoken a little bit about clogging. What about joint maintenance? Could you talk to us a little bit about that? A lot of that I find tends to happen in new situations where the pavers have just gone down and they've forgotten to speak to the maintenance team about, oh, don't use vacuum on the sweeper for the first six months. And, you know, either the pave lock hasn't set or the normal sand hasn't set. I mean, clogging has its benefits as well because that organic matter and sediment actually helps bind they're called interlocking pavements for a reason they're designed to interlock Uh, if you take out the material in between them well they're not interlocking anymore so a lot of it i find is more to do with not doing a proper maintenance handover but at the same point it's easy to put sand back it's very easy to sweep back in it doesn't take a rocket scientist i suppose like that's the thing as i've said earlier they're very forgiving yes so I'm just curious, Ryan, what would your favourite paver be? A permeable paver. Yes. It would definitely be my favourite. Look, I'm a big fan of the Eco Trihex from Abra. Okay. Just, it's one of the largest gaps, so it has one of the highest infiltration rates. But just as a paver, I like the unique pattern mm. that you can get with it. It's not a square paver. So for those who aren't familiar with it, it is, yeah, it's got triangle edges, it's three-pronged. It's A know, little bit Space Invader-ish. Yeah, that's actually probably a good way of saying it. Yeah, it's <laughs> for those it's, it's of my different. generation. It's different. Yes. So it's, but there are situations where it's not appropriate. You know, mm. sometimes the large gap size can actually be an issue. So sometimes other, you know, you need the smaller gaps because depending on what trees you're using, that's what we found. So, yeah. but in general, I really like that one because it looks the best. And in terms of interlocking, it's the most forgiving in turn for roads. So just going into now sort of structural maintenance and you've mentioned roads and one of the things that we come across from an industry perspective is it's never really the pavers that fail. It's normally maybe they were specced incorrectly or they were laid incorrectly. But what do you need to think about with regards to the structural aspect of when you're specifying a paver and then maintaining it? I think there's a misconception that pavers are only good for light duty applications when they're like anything. It's when you do an asphalt road, the top layer of asphalt, it's just something to not look pretty, but it's just the wearing, it's the wearing course and pavers are just the wearing course. They're just what sit on top. They form part of the structure, but really it's all relying on what's underneath. Mm -hmm. So much like when you're doing a road with asphalt, you're checking your subgrade, checking your base and your sub base layers. That's where your strength is. If they're not spec'd and designed correctly and they're not built correctly, then whatever you put on top doesn't stand a chance. Mm. What are the most common mistakes in specking? do you find? To be honest, it's probably just doing a check. It's trying to use, and I think we're guilty of it sometimes, is just trying to roll out the one standard detail you've got for every situation. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's the easiest approach, but you can't do that everywhere. No. You know, so you actually have to be aware of what your site conditions are, what your traffic is, what's under the ground, how do you want it to look in the end. Traffic loading, I think a lot of people underestimate just how much traffic roads are going to get. And, you know, we find it interesting sometimes there'll be circumstances where you've got a driveway onto like a petrol station and they've specced it for just pedestrian traffic. And yet on that particular part, you're getting trucks and cars and everything going by. Yeah. So if we were just to talk about, I guess, some of the structural maintenance, and you mentioned traffic, the creep in the joint lines, 
What do you normally do with that? Um, so that's usually where the pavers are moving. So again, quite common in driveways or on roads, you'll find it a lot in your braking areas mm-hmm. um, where you're really getting that. And a lot of that is, again, where you've got the, I suppose, the interlocking pavers, if they're laid the wrong way. So a lot of people think they, they just look at aesthetics and they don't consider which way the traffic's going. So mm-hmm. they'll look at it, oh, we're laying pavers through a footpath and they look at it from a pedestrian point of view. Yeah, that's how we want it to look. But pedestrians aren't really putting any load mm. on it. It's what's putting the load on and what way is that traffic moving? So quite often, a lot of it just comes down to design and spec. Right. And if you are getting creep because the pavers are laid in the wrong orientation, then the only real way to fix that is either change the paver type to mm-hmm. one that doesn't necessarily have a specific direction. And I suppose, again, that's why I like the trihex. There's no direction. You can lay them however you want and they work in any direction. That's right. Whereas your normal square rectangular pavers, they have a direction that you have to lay, you know, perpendicular to the main traffic flow. Otherwise, yeah, you are really going to get that creep as they kind of shove under loading. And then what about when you have, um, it's obvious that the pavers have perhaps sunk a little bit, the surface, an undulating surface, I guess. If you're really lucky, it could just be that perhaps the bedding sand has settled a little bit there. If you're unlucky, it could be perhaps there's more of a structural consideration that I suppose the pavement underneath is failing. I suppose generally what we'll find is that it's usually got to do with the bedding, that maybe there's somehow some water has got underneath and just washed away a bit of the bedding sand and that's caused the pavers to sink. Quite often you'll see it near where people have got downpipes and they're just putting it straight onto the pavers. So, you know, you get a large rain event, water comes out with such great velocity and just washes all that sand away. So how do you fix it then? How do you fix it? The quick fix, lift the pavers, put some bedding sand in and get the pavers all nice and level again. Yes. Um, And, you know, top them up with some sand. But that's just going to aesthetically fix it. But you've got to really understand what's causing it. Yes. So that's... It could be the quick fix, but you it may could need be a, a quick lump. fix. Yep. But if it's a structural consideration underneath, that's not going to be a quick fix. You're replacing the sub base and all of those layers. But mm. it's really understanding what the issue is. Yes. So sometimes it requires a bit of investigation. You can't just look at it and go, "Oh, that's what it is." Yes. Nine times out of ten, it might be, but you've really got to understand what the issue is before you fix it. Yeah. That or you might be back in six months to fix it again. That's right. That's right. I just wanted to talk to you about sealing. It's a bit of, I think, a decisive topic, but can you um, talk to me about sealing pavers? I don't like it. Okay. Why is that? I don't know. I'm a fan. I just think you get pavers and, yes, you can seal them so that they stay the same colour and some people like that. I personally like things that change a little bit over time. Mm-hmm. I think that's somewhat natural in mm-hmm. a way. And, you know, yeah, you'll get colour variations, but that's life. Do you think there's any situation where you think it's appropriate to seal paint? Look, there's some high wear situations. You know, if you're expecting a lot of pollutants, you're generally capturing things where you might have you know, maybe some acid rain, but you know, you're expecting more than the natural environmental wear mm-hmm. that you might want to seal them. But yeah, we don't we've never really sealed any of our papers. Okay. So what would you say is the most difficult issue to resolve when it comes to maintenance of papers? I would say people expecting the same in terms of, you know, if you go out and you have to replace a few pavers, oh, they don't match exactly. Well, no, they don't. But even if you did that with concrete, concrete never matches exactly. You never get that exact colour match. 
I think it's a lot to do with people's expectations about generally aesthetics, how it looks. Okay. From a local government perspective, that's yeah. nine out of 10 calls we've received. It's about how something looks rather than how it's necessarily performing. Now, I'm not going to ask you about what your favourite project is, but are there any things that you're working on at the moment that maybe we should keep our eyes out for? Yeah, so the Woodville Road streetscape, I mm-hmm. think that's going to be really, really interesting. Just um, describe that a little bit more. So at the moment, it's just block paving, but what we're actually going to be doing, basically going in, taking all of it up, planting a lot more trees, really increasing the amenity of the streetscape, make it somewhere that people want to go. Mm-hmm. Part of that is, yeah, using about six different colours and types of pavers to create a pattern and make it a bit more interesting rather than just a block colour. Mm-hmm. Um, so really looking forward to see how that looks both on ground but then also how it looks a bit from the air. I think once you get up that little bit higher, you can appreciate it. And um, that will be permeable as well. So uh, That one won't okay. be permeable, but then that leads me into one of our other projects we're doing, which is Military Road, mm-hmm. and there we're doing a lot of permeable paving in there. Uh, it's quite close to the coast. And yeah, so we're doing a lot of permeable paving there. We've got underlying sand, so it, you know it's low-hanging fruit. It's yes. very easy to go. Yep, we know the water's going to run away as soon as it gets in there. So it was an easy thing to do to ensure that we didn't have nuisance ponding enabled us to make some changes to our stormwater system. Makes sense. Now, yeah. do you have a biggest learning from working with pavers? Originally, I just thought pavers were for you know footpaths or for around the house, but over time you could use them anywhere there is a paver for nearly every situation paver in every project we like to say yeah and (laughs) you know if you can't find something speak to the manufacturers because if they don't have it they'll be able to point you in the right direction or they'll be able to make it do you have one fun fact about segmental pavers I suppose what I touched on earlier, you can do whatever you want with them. So, you know, if you've got creative license with papers, you can do a lot with them. It's a bit like bricks on a house. You can get all the same colour or mm. you can get 20 different colours and you can lay them however you want. If you want to be on site all day and go put that colour here, that colour here, that colour here, it'd be really annoying for the person laying them, but you can end up with something really quirky. Yes, we certainly could. <laughs> So, Ryan, you've really dispelled a lot of myths today about maintaining pavers and really when it comes down to what would be your top tips around paver maintenance? It all starts with your design. That's where you've really got to consider, you know, that comes down to whether it's permeable or non-permeable. But, again, if you design and spec it right, your maintenance requirements significantly drop off, just like anything. If you don't get it right, at the start, you're going to have to maintain a lot more to have that same service level. And you said just something around with the sweepers and yeah. what was that one again, please? Just uh, yeah, me. so that's once you've laid it, for the first six months, you really, you can do your sweeping, light sweeping, but just ease up on it. Don't do your full intense vacuum sweeping like it's been there for, for 20 years. That's just going to suck all the sand straight out. And unfortunately, yeah, we see it a lot in new land divisions and where, yep, We've got the assets, no worries. We take them over and the sweeper goes in and then the residents are moving and going, yep, all the pavers are moving. Yep, sure enough, there's no sand there. And, yeah, you can't really go back to the builder for that and say it's a defect. It's not. They build it correctly. It's just the maintenance for the first six months. And 
that's probably the thing is designing it right. But also if there are specific maintenance considerations, you've really got to pass them over to your maintenance team. I think that's a great point. And the other one that I love is how you've said, really speak to the manufacturers about what you want. You know, I get some councils say, oh, we just don't like the colours that are available. Well, tell me what colour you want. Yeah. We, we can add any colour. We yeah. can make it any way to suit any purpose. Yeah. So my other burning question is, are you still playing with Lego? Yes. I've got boys under three years old, so it's more Duplo than Lego at the moment, but there's a big tub of Lego waiting for them. So. Ryan, it's been my pleasure and thank you for taking us through those really important points on maintenance and dispelling a lot of those misconceptions. No worries. Thank you. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for ideas of what to talk about. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, there's a link in our show notes to let us know.